You are the foundation of your family. You are the firm footing they build their lives on. You carry a glorious burden and you never dream of laying it down. You carry it with joy and gratitude. You show up even when you don't feel like it. You lead, serve, love, and protect. You are a father. This is the Dad Work Podcast, where men are forged into elite husbands and fathers by learning what it takes to become harder to kill, easier to love, and equipped to lead. Get ready to start building the only legacy that truly matters, your family. Welcome to the Dad Work Podcast. My name is Kurt Storing, your host and the founder of Dad Work. This is an episode with Nathan Spearing, who spent almost 14 years in the U.S. Army Special Operations and made the decision to leave, giving up hopes of a secure government pension, that's secure is in quotations, to spend more time with his wife and five children. Today, he lives in a bus on a 54-acre homestead in North Carolina, owns and operates a construction and real estate company, and hosts the Life on Target podcast, where he encourages others to take the road less traveled. You can find everything about Nathan on his website, spearing.co. That's S-P-E-A-R-I-N-G dot C-O. You can also listen to the Life on Target podcast and everything else you can find at the show notes, dad.work slash podcast. Nathan and I go deep today talking about why he left the military and financial security to spend more time with his family and, importantly, how you could do the same. Embracing chaos, making the next right step, and trusting God to provide. Why men resort to idolizing their work. How Nathan and his family navigated buying dozens of acres of land and building a farm while living in a bus. And real estate, starting businesses, hard work, and multi-generational family leadership. Guys, if you want a role model for how to live your life as a husband and father and a multi-generational family leader, uh, I think you're going to want to put Nathan in your uh, in your sights here because I left this conversation completely fired up to go and do exactly what he's doing for my family. And I really think you guys are going to get this because it just takes, it actually takes a lot of what we were talking about last episode with Jeremy Pryor and family teams, this multi-generational family ideal and puts a very practical spin on it. We get quite deep into the the so-called weeds of Nathan's decision-making process and his family's life over the last number of years. And I think that's very important because you often hear about this kind of stuff going like, oh yeah, it sounds so good, but how do I do that? And so here's Nathan leaving behind this really secure gig uh, just a few years away from getting a retirement and a pension. And he's like, actually, no, this is not worth missing time with my kids. Uh, and then he's got to navigate that. And he's just taking it one decision at a time. And in hindsight, man, it's all worked out really well. But man, it takes some guts and some skill and a ton of responsibility to pull it off. So I think you guys are going to get a lot out of this episode with Nathan Spearing. I know I certainly did. And if you want to learn more, like I said, go to dad.work slash podcast. That's where you'll find the show notes with links to Nathan and his company and his podcast, and his Instagram and everything else like that. And guys, if you have been enjoying this podcast, please make sure on Spotify, you leave a rating, star rating. And on Apple, leave a rating. And you know what? If you got 30 seconds, leave us a quick review. That is one of the best ways we can get this into the ears of more men, more dads who need this. And guys, I genuinely believe we save men's lives, we save families, and we eventually save society and the world by doing this work as men, husbands, and fathers. So if you would like to pass that work on, the easiest way to do is leave a review wherever you're listening to this. Would very much appreciate that. If you're not signed up already, make sure to go to dad.work slash challenge to get on our 10-day Elite Dad Challenge. 
Otherwise, guys, we're going to jump into this episode with Nathan Spearing. Here we go. All right, dads, back for another episode of the Dad Work Podcast. I am pumped today to be with Nathan Spearing. And uh, like I said, I heard you on my friend Will's podcast, Ren of Men. If you guys haven't heard that, go listen to that. Uh, but dude, the first thing that I wanted to get into was just this idea of like doing things against the cultural narrative. Okay, this is like such an important thing when family's on the line, because I think I was just talking to Jeremy Pryor on the last episode. And when we try to optimize for what society says is right, it's often like putting lipstick on a pig, right? And we need to go all the way back. We need to go to baseline and fundamentally understand what we want out of our lives as husbands, fathers, and family leaders. And I see that in your story. And so let's just start at that point of transition in your life where you had the career you were, you know, six years away, I think it was, from pension, and everyone's like, oh, dude, just stay in, it's fine, and yet you selected family over that. Do you want to just, like, warm us up with that little bit of bio to get up to speed in terms of, like, how that decision came, and then, like, man, why did you, how did you prioritize family over what society says to do? So maybe I'll just hand that off to you and see what comes of that. Yeah, well, I guess, um, first of all, normal, if you're looking around at society, is not what you want. It's <laughs> divorce. It's dysfunctional family. It's inability to uh, call uh, a, a sex the right sex, a woman, a woman. And so in a lot of ways, um, you know, wanting to be normal, if you're still married and you get along with your kids, you're not normal, you know. And, and yeah. so if you want to continue down that way, so I think that, um, I don't know, I guess just fundamentally as men, if you're going to lead, you're not leading if you're always licking your finger and seeing which way the wind's blowing. You are making decisions based on what other people are saying, uh, and that's not leadership. You have to find something outside yourself that is bigger, that is not going to change the ebb and flow. And, you know, a lot of people just like to say, oh, that's old-fashioned. Yes, something that's worked since the beginning of time I'm about something that is a, a modern invention that has made our entire society depressed, reliant on pharmaceuticals, reliant on, you know, all these things. I don't want anything like that for my family. So that that kind of to as a long lead in to say I had done almost 14 years in special operations in the U.S. military and I started to have kids come along. I did 12 combat deployments and I started to have kids show up. Uh, I think it was the fourth or fifth deployment. And so I started to have to leave not just my wife behind, which is painful, but also these young people who, you know, the earlier on in life, time matters more that I think I saw something a while back that, you know, experientially and with perception of time, we've lived kind of the majority of our life experience wise at like 18, 17, 18 years old, because as we get older, time kind of goes by faster. The years bleed into more years. And it, it, it so I just felt this really kind of negative feeling as I was saying bye to, you know, my first son, my then my daughter, then my next son. And then, you know, as the kids kind of continue to come along, leaving on these deployments was more painful for me because I was more, I felt like I was missing more and more. There was more life happening with me away and ultimately ended up making the decision that worst case scenario, I'm, I got to go be a barista at Starbucks and I'll be the best dang barista ever and we will not starve and I will work, you know, work at Home Depot, work at whatever and, 
and and put the work in and we're not going to go hungry. And I didn't really know what the next thing would be, but I knew that it would just be me present, me there for more dinners, me there in church with the family on Sundays and, um, you know, not really knowing how hard that was going to be, but in a sense, not really caring how hard it was going to be. And knowing that at the end of the day, I mean, what I was saying is my, my son was seven years old when I got out. We literally just uh, February of, of 23 was the 20 year mark when I would have received that pension. And I, you know, my youngest son is seven. So we just snapped a photo and my son, my, my son's 14 and then my youngest is seven. So I can you can just literally see with two boys standing next to each other what I would have missed if I would have continued deploying because my, my colleagues, my peers didn't, haven't stopped. They're still get, they're still on the calling card for, for the latest thing that's going on. And so I have this kind of now rearward uh, hindsight optic to say, this is when I would have got the pension. And then also realizing that I've built businesses now in that seven years that eclipse that pension ultimately. And, that, and I knew that uh, in theory that I could take my time and I could make it more valuable. I could get more skill. I could get more uh, expertise in things and that I would be able to own it, you know, because the thing about it, the tricky thing about a pension from the government is when you die, it dies. Businesses, that's not what happens. You can transfer this ownership over. Your kids can can run it. Your kids can sell it. Your kids can, you know, and there's, and, and even starting to think about that and have these conversations with my 14 year old. What do you want to do? Are you going to want to try to do this? Are you going to try to, move out on your own. Hey, you know, dad's trying to get to the point where we have a family bank and we can finance some real estate for you and your brother to do when you're 16, 17 years old and you can start trying to make this happen and creatively come up with ways to give our children skill, give them expertise and a mindset even about how time is ultimately every one of our most valuable resources. And the only difference between one of us that the person that's higher on the ladder income wise or even relationally is how they allocate their time. How do they spend it? How how important are have they prioritized things in their life and focused more on that? And I think it's it's essentially God's joke on economics is he gave every one of us the same. We're, we're all confined to that 24 hour day, that 168 hour week, you know, that 365 day year. And every one of us has that, you know, our lives are different in span, obviously, but those of us that are alive are going to get the same number of minutes to allocate today as, as any other person. And so really being in the position for the last seven years to pick how I've spent every minute, and then also having to realize that how I spent those minutes have ramifications today, next month for my family's welfare, as far as as financial and relational. If I pick to work for the wrong client and they're texting me nasty things at seven o'clock at night when we're sitting down to dinner, or if I was the idiot that didn't leave my phone out of the room and saw it. So I'm sitting down to dinner, like these practices, these things that I'm doing every day, they impact for good or bad, but then just accepting that and saying, I am in control and I get to do that. And I didn't, I would not get to do that if I had stayed on the government um, you know, I jokingly call Uncle Sugar. If I would have been working for Uncle Sugar still, it, I don't get that. And so just let's, let's, it's going to be hard anytime I leave. Let's go ahead and leave early. Let's leave when I still got energy, when I still got, my kids are still young, where I can build something real. And, and then I, I, I can set myself up and, and future generations up 
in a way where we, we continue to build and, and continue to grow for generations. Man, that is such a good um, story for people who like I talk to guys all the time. Whether it's military or not, like usually not for me, at least I'm, I'm Canadian. So, you know, it's not quite the same culture, but, um, there's so many guys out there who are just like, Oh, I can't like, I'm stuck here. Oh, easy for you to say like, Oh, you've been in business. Like, Oh yeah, I can't do that. And I look at that and I go like, well, okay, like, I guess not with that attitude, but I see in you the same thing that I see in me, which is like this ability to self audit down to first principles, which is why do we even live here? Why do we run our days like this? Why do we send our kids to school? Oh, let's not actually in homeschool and said, let's not live here and live where we want. Let's not work here and do we want to do. But what do you think it was for you that gave you that mindset? Because looking around and talking to guys, that's not actually that common. And I'm trying to put these resources out there to inspire guys to do that, which is good for their families and optimize for family. But do you think it was something specific with you guys where you're like, oh man, I see my kids, but so do I, so does every other dad, right? So like, do you know what it was in your life that actually made you think that this was a possibility rather than just assume that you had to stay in for another six years? Yeah, I think that I, I had a conversation with a guest of mine on my podcast uh, a couple episodes ago, just about how let's do a worst case scenario kind of analysis. And I think people, that worst case in their minds, I is way worse than it really actually is in reality. So you, you, you start to go down in, in Canada, in the US, you are not going to starve. Your kids are not going to go hungry. It's just, it will not happen. Like there's just, and, and I, I've talked about, you know, there's restaurants that are throwing away metric tons of food every single night. So if you showed up and said, hey, I got five kids and I'll do dishes if you just give me dibs before you dump it in the dumpster, you know, and we're in a car, you know, and, and our family lives in a bus right now, too. And that's the reality of it is, is your kids, a lot of people are will try to say, oh, I'm just trying to give them the life that I didn't have, you know, which I think is a lie. You have this idea of what ideal would be and you want it. Your kids don't care. Mm. Your kids don't care how much money is in the bank account. They do care if you have no money in the bank account and it makes you a jerk. And so having to separate that from how you treat your kids. And that's been something that I haven't done well on as recently as a couple nights ago. There's things that go on that you, but that's your job as the leader is to, is to you know, in some ways not let different departments struggle, struggles in different departments bleed over into the, the home department. And to be able to just take that upon yourself and realize that your kids love you anyway. I mean, they have just a, a tremendous ability to forgive. They have a tremendous ability to love in spite of what you fail at. And in some ways you try to go, oh, I, I, I just can't forgive myself. Like, stop being so dang selfish, man. Yeah. Accept that these people, these, these little people love you still and just do better and keep working at it and, and also be... Uh, I, you know, one of the things I've been kind of kicking around in my head about talking about is just the, the speed at which you admit you're wrong, I think is more important than never being wrong. And so instead of just doubling down and saying, you know, maybe I'll, when I pray for him at bedtime, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll just slide a, a quick apology in and kind of like, if you realize you're being a jerk mid conversation and you can stop. And that's been the, the plotting or the, the prodding of, of a good woman like my wife is, is let them see 
that you can repent. Let them see that you can admit wrong. Let them see as soon as you figure it out, you just admit it. And you say, hey, dad was wrong. Shouldn't have talked to you like that. You forgive me. And and the kids just, yeah, of course, dad. Um, and it's when you when you kind of grit your teeth and say, because, and I'm not going to give you in. And then I'm getting kids uh, um, that are a little bit older now. They're starting to think. And so you, you can't just say because and slam slam something down on the table and, and build resentment in your home. And that's a, a wonderful thing to work through and to and to but I think a lot of guys want to continue to blame other things. So if you go to go out on your own and you fall flat on your face, you can't hide behind, you know, upper management now. It's a hundred percent on you now and you can't lie to your wife about it you can't lie to it so you're afraid of being exposed and so and you and you're comfortable and you just want to hang out and if you you know in your heart that there's a better option and you're just ignoring it it's you're a coward and 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 you're not going to get i mean i had to have a conversation my kids and i were cold plunging yesterday and it's like literally the, the belief this is going to be uncomfortable and I'm going to do it anyway because I'm the one that chooses my actions. I know this is good for me. We just got done with the workout. I know this temperature on my muscle tissue is going to be good for me. I choose that it's difficult. I do it anyway. And men just need to do that. It's going to be difficult. And then, you know, for, for us, ultimately, I know that my heavenly father is going to provide me daily bread that I'm not going to go hungry, that as long as I'm not being lazy, as long as I am working hard to take care of my family, we're going to eat. And ultimately, we got clothes, we got shelter, we got food, we're good. And and then the bottom is not bad. You know, living in a really, really tiny house, living out of the car, catching food before it goes to the dumpster, like it's not going to get worse than that. You're not going to die. And it only goes gets better from there it only goes up and that and then ultimately even the worst case is is very uh, several orders of magnitude out of the likely possibility that actually happens so sitting down doing an honest assessment being like okay as bad as it possibly could get is this it's actually not that bad what the heck let's try it let's let's give ourselves a year let's give ourselves two years let's do an assessment where we at and and then you know i i think people I wish I would have had somebody tell me it's going to take longer than you expect to (laughs) man. Me too. Because it just, it does take a long time. It takes consistency. It takes you getting better. And so a lot of people are thinking, all right, I got a month's worth of expenses, you know, in the bank taken care of in savings. So I got, you know, I got 30 days to make this business profitable. That's probably difficult situation. I mean, ultimately too, you may make it profitable in 30 days if that's really all you, you run out of money. Like there's this ingenuity that exists inside of you that you may never have tapped into before in your cush, white collar, you know, two, two, a paycheck every two weeks kind of kind of situation. And so when it's on the line and it's on you and then even just learning to love that and be like, OK, I have no idea, you know, how we're going to we, we just we got a pretty good sized tax bill coming up for our, our businesses. You know, we've got new accountants. We went through kind of cleaned some stuff up that had been uh, unaddressed the last couple of years. It's like, oh, that's a big check. You know, all right. Guess I'm going to go sell some more jobs. I guess I'm going to make it. You know, even if I don't pay it right now, 
it's going to cost me some a little extra. It'll be okay. I mean, motivation. And so I think a lot, I don't know, we've, I've gone all around a lot. If you want to jump in and, and drill down on any of that, uh, yeah, no, th- that's free. good, man. That's really good because I think like, as I'm listening to this, as you're talking about like the worst case scenario, I've done this as well. It's kind of, I think maybe I heard it from like Tim Ferriss or something like fear setting. It's like, mm-hmm. Oh, it's the worst that can happen. And when I hear that it's, you're right. It's like, Oh, well, like I'm not going to die. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be fine. And yet I think that pride probably stops a lot of guys from even accepting that. Like, oh, I would never live out of my house I would, or my car. I would never go and do that for, you know, the restaurant food. Like, I would never, man. I wouldn't let my kids. I wouldn't. And it's like, actually, that's just prideful. And I really like what you said about um, selfishness in not forgiving yourself. And so there's these ideas now of pride in not being willing to do the thing which you need to do, regardless of how it looks. And then the selfishness of not forgiving yourself. And I'm like, dude, I keep coming back to pride and selfishness over and over. And probably because that's where I sin most. But also because I see this in men unwilling to take the plunge because of this. Um, I, I don't know if you've got anything or if that was just like a passing comment on the selfishness aspect of not forgiving yourself. But do you want to touch on that? Because a lot of guys only go like, oh, selfishness is when I'm all about me. And so if I'm beating myself up, that's actually fine. I deserve to beat myself up. But I've recently understood that that is massively selfish and prideful. And I know it's not related at all to what we were talk- talking about, but I made a note of it. Does that bring anything else up to dive into just before we go more into like the practicalities of this? Well, I think it, it's the the selfishness is kind of can be tied in with humility as well. And I think it's C.S. Lewis that said, you know, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And so ultimately in, in that selfishness and that it's thinking about you and yourself in this and not really thinking about less about what you think and more about what's good for your your wife and your kids. And and the reality is that your wife and your kids need you and they need you around and they need you present a lot, a lot more than is normal. It's not, oh, you know, I'm going to do 40 hours a week. And I, I think a lot of men escape to work and they get to live a kind of a separate uh, persona or identity there. They get to kind of be uh, an expert or uh, have a mastery in that area. And then that becomes their mental lollipop. Like I'm the man because I'm good at my job, but I work 40 hours a week, which is a very marginal percentage of really what my whole life is. And the rest of my life is, is a wreck. And so you just keep going deeper into professional and you keep telling your wife and kids that they're just demanding and don't understand how important you are. And I, I felt that a lot with the military in the sense that I traveled a long ways away. I was with a small group of guys. We had great camaraderie. We had great brotherhood. But then, you know, and, you, and it, was, it was heralded as a great thing in society. We're not living in a Vietnam era where they're spitting on soldiers. Like soldiers generally are, are veterans, are well thought of by, by the public. So you get this this kind of uh, experience, this kind of gratitude just generally with your vocation. And then, you know, uh, being, and we see this, I think even more with, if you have a mom that stays home and, and, you know, what do you do? Oh, I'm, I, you know, I'm a mom and I'm, you know, I'm a homemaker. Oh, you're one of the dumb ones, you know, that can't go be a corporate wage slave mm-hmm. and barely make more enough to do your, uh, your child care and do, take out childcare and taxes. What's your net earnings on that? And and then who's educating your kids during that time and, and all that. So I think that 
that's a professional idolatry that exists and it's easy for men to confine their identity in that and then it's 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 very uncomfortable to be bad at something as a man to be ha- like you're and that's what marriage is marriage is exposing your flaws and your kids are emulating your weaknesses to you with less maturity you know my wife has jokes around she's like man i really wish uh premarital counseling i really wish they would have said hey you know you're going to get a lot of copies of this this man you're marrying but with a lot less maturity and and it, it, so you're just everything that may or may not you may or may bother you about your husband you know times five uh you know and and little kids and so anyway i think that just dealing with that and saying i have the ability to get better and i have the ability to do that and to say um that me getting better like the solution for your kids if you're a jerk is not to be around them less is not to go just make more money and pretend like you are doing the right thing by them because you made so much more money when really you're actually running from being a dad being present um, leading teaching them and you know education wise is predominantly feminine uh influences on our boys they're going off to class the 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 large majority of of teachers and school system are are women and our our boys need dads to be involved they need dads educating them on all the other things besides the reading writing and arithmetic and you know we don't even have to open up why it is that our boys are are locked in a prison you know eight hours a day every day of the week until they're 18 and we wonder why we got issues with that so we can we can open that that box too but um you, you the solution is and i i when i left the military i was the biggest jerk i'd ever been to my family because i like i said i'm not talking about this professional idolatry to the listener and i i already had this figured out i'm just telling you how you don't have it figured out no i lived it i had i was really really good at special operations stuff and I was be- was good at being a dad part-time, but I knew ultimately I was going to get to do sexy stuff for eight months a year. And I only had to be a dad that other four months, and it was punctuated. It was between trips. It was two weeks at a time. So it's like literally I can suck it up and be selfless for two weeks before I go on this, this cool skydiving trip. And so when I was home 365 and there was no end in sight, this is like, okay, I'm here. Uh, I, the reason I did this was to be around. Now I'm around all the time. I'm even worse than I ever was. There's no escape. I'm here. There's no getting out of it. Oh, we're broke as, as well. Um, and so it just stripped away all these false things in my life that I was deriving value from and put me, I, I couldn't hide from anymore. I had to get better. Um, if I wanted life to improve. And so ultimately realizing like, okay, I was a jerk. My kids still love me and I can only get better, you know, from this. I know that this, that the answer lies in me doing better and I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to do it a little bit at a time. And when I don't, they're going to forgive me. And that's, you know, accepting that forgiveness. And like, literally they, they just, it, they don't even think about it. It's just, it's so powerful that they're like, no, it's cool. I don't, whatever. Like, you know, even if, if you forget or you realize that you maybe were too, and you, you know, they're leaving and then they come back, hey, I just wanted to 
say I'm sorry for those. They're like, huh? What are you talking about? No, cool. We're good. You know, can we go play? Let's do it. So anyway. Yeah, no, that's, that's hard to be selfish through that, right? Mm -hmm. Like the selflessness has to come through when all of that's on the line. And you realize, like you just said, and this is something I often have to remind myself, it's like, don't you know how much your kids love you? Like, have you ever, as a father, thought about that? If you're listening to this, have you ever truly thought about how much your kids love you? Like, even today, most of the men I work with, they love their dad so much that they're still looking for his approval at 30 and 40. Like, dude, that is how much your kids love you now, but without all the baggage. And if you don't understand that, you're going to beat yourself up more. You're going to be more selfish, which is, like you said, thinking about self rather than serving them and leading them and taking the burden of dealing with that emotional, whatever you're feeling, because, oh, I messed up. Like, okay, like, yeah. But then, like you said, say sorry, move on, and just show up better next time. I mean, like, that's, I think so many guys need to get that selfishness aspect, at least under the microscope, because I don't think enough guys are even aware of it, and I certainly wasn't. And much like you, I've learned all this stuff the hard way, and I didn't even have, like, a cool military thing to fall back on. I was just like, let's have kids, let's not get a job anymore, we quit, we started businesses, and then I was just miserable all the time. Cause like you said, no money, didn't know how to parent. Um, all of my, I love how you said that, by the way, like the, the worst parts of you magnified with no maturity, man, that makes so much sense as I look around in my own children now. Um, and I only hope that maturity will help them get out of that because it's not very attractive in me. Um, uh, anyway, man, I want to talk a little bit more about like the story behind how you got from that decision into where you are today, because at least the social media version of you seems to be really cool, seems to be really awe-inspiring insofar as how you guys are intentionally building family. You're doing things differently than so-called normal, which we've already touched upon being uh, you know, not what you want to be optimizing for. And you're building business. I think you guys are homeschooling. You're living in a, a bus. You're building stuff. Like, dude, I saw videos on Instagram, I think, of your kids shooting guns and doing stuff with chickens and building stuff. Like, dude, this guy just is like living this, I don't know, salt of the earth sort of thing in a way that really pulls my soul. And so I'm curious how you went from, you're kind of like grumpy now that you're here, you're not doing the cool thing anymore, you don't have a lot of money, you're trying to build businesses. What did that look like and how did you go about actually implementing that which you now have? Not saying you're perfect at it, obviously, mm -hmm. but I think it would be useful for guys to hear, okay, if I'm going to make this jump... What might it look like for me moving forward? Can you tie us in a little bit from then to now? Yeah, so one of the reasons we were able to leave the military is from uh, when my son was, was, I think, a year and a half old, the one that's now 14, and my wife was pregnant with number two, we did real estate on the side. We did DIY, we bought an old house, we lived in it, we fixed it up, we sold it, we did it again, we did it again, we did it again. So... Um, at the time that I left the military, we had uh, live in remodeled one, took us about three years. And, you know, so I, I think for a guy that wants to leave, I had been at the time I left about seven or eight years using my marginal time or my time that was not allocated towards my primary work, towards stuff that added value. I was remodeling bathrooms. You know, the military gives you 30 days of leave a year. You get federal holidays that are oftentimes a four-day weekend. And I, I didn't really travel for a lot of time because I had this fixer-upper house. So I'd get two weeks off. Um, everybody would be gone. I'd be local, and I'd just be working on my house for two weeks straight. I'd get four-day weekends. So I'd do a Friday, Saturday, Monday, 
where I was working on the house three days, you know, solid. And I worked 10, 12 hours on that. And all my discretionary income, the stuff that we didn't, you know, when you have a, uh, your bathroom completely torn apart and your wife's like, hey, we need this bathroom back online. You're taking every spare cent to buy tile, to buy tools, to buy the stuff that you need to get that bathroom back online. And then the reality is that bathroom is worth four times what the actual materials cost because with remodeling, it's so much labor. So I didn't have a master plan of I'm going to be a real estate guy and I'm going to flip and I'm going to wholesale and I'm going to do all these things and I'm going to have, you know, 90 apartments and I'm going to get this, you know, like it's that's a lot of the real estate that's on social media. But the reality of saying I got to live somewhere. Why don't we buy a house that's, you know, it's kind of dated. It needs work. And let's work on it over time using whatever free time that we'd usually just be binging the latest stupid Netflix show and let's lay tile together and then build value. So, you know, we we bought our first house for $175,000. We sold it for 277.5, you know, 3 years later and probably half of that gain, that 100,000 that we got was materials that had spent been spent over that would have been wasted, you know, on something stupid if we hadn't put it into a house. It was literally like a savings account. We got it all back. Um, at the time of sale, we had already bought, used a military reenlistment to buy a duplex. So we had kind of hadn't sold the one. So we got that hundred thousand dollars, put a new roof on the duplex because it was leaking in seven places, moved into a friend of ours house for four months that was deployed, worked really hard round the clock to get the back of the duplex fixed up, moved into that, remodeled the next part. But then right before getting out, cash out refinance the duplex that was renting and we're living there for free essentially because the back rent we bought it so cheap the back rent was paying the front we cashed out all the equity we got 260,000 or 240,000 out at a three percent interest rate because it's our primary home you know and so now we had all this money and we bought the historic mansion that we we still own um we since sold the duplex but it's kind of a longer term uh, you know, three houses and I, I'm working on some, some ways to package that kind of playbook of just three, a house every three years, you know, there's in, in America, if you live in a house for two years, you can sell it tax-free up to $500,000. So there's like this money that, that value you created out of thin air is also not taxable, um, because it was your primary home. And so, and like I said, it wasn't a master plan. It was literally like, we want to live in this cool part of town. Everything that's fixed up is super expensive. And this one is is run down and is a little scary. But I think, you know, we can work on it for two or three months till our apartment lease is up and doing that over and over and over again. And and it it's kind of hard with real estate right now, but there's still deals out there. There's still houses that scare the majority of people to buy. And if you have skill to be able to take that house and expertise to understand really what the situation, I walked a house with a friend of mine recently and I can walk up and down and I can see all the problems and I know what to do and, and assess the real state of things. So just look for ways to do that now while you're working a job, while I was still deploying six, eight months out of the year, we were building value with that additional time and that gave us runway. And uh, for the way that it worked out for us was I had a bunch of money in the bank and in some ways I was like kind of thinking like, eh, you know, we just, we bought this mansion for, we had to put 110 grand down on that. So I, but I still had, you know, 80 grand left, hundred grand left as I was getting out. And, 
and then found out that the, the military had given me bonuses to kind of stay in and I ended up getting out early on that bonus. So we found out kind of just put $110,000 on a house, bought that, needed a lot of work. I was like, ah, I still got about 80 grand in the bank. It'll be okay. Um, then found out I had to write a $40,000 check my last day in the military. So I, the way that I hindsight look about is, is God knew um, I was going to be a little bit lazy even having, so I was like, ah, 80 grand, that's a good, you know, a good year's salary. If I don't do anything for a year and I just work on this house and I, whatever, I'll be good. So what ended up having to happen was I had to work on that house, but I had to also knew that there was a timetable, you know, now having 40 grand, I decided to buy a truck. I started the construction business cause I was like, I need to, I've been doing houses. I'll figure out this construction business stuff um, on the fly while I'm fit, working on this house. And then realizing there's this whole massive, I mean, a way that I've said it multiple times is I, I thought 80% of the construction business is technical expertise and then 20% business. And I was like, I got 80%. I understand that. I've done it for houses and I'll figure out that 20% as I do it for clients when it's really the reverse. It's about 20% technical, 80% business and understanding how to communicate and actually price stuff right and, 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 there's so much of that and it was very difficult. And that's the reason why is now I have, you know, two mortgages, uh, the duplex, we moved into the mansion so that we, it didn't have any uh, central heat and air. Um, I just cut out all the original 1934 plumbing and all the bathrooms. So we had, my wife jokes, we had one, one working toilet. We had a kitchen sink that was online and a shower that was in a different part. So added together, we had a full bathroom, but it was in three different rooms <laughs> and you had to walk out of the hall bath and wash your hands in the kitchen sink. And, and then there's one shower and our kids would, you know, which bathroom can I go to the bathroom, you know, and they'd be running. But even then we're looking back the first winter, we slept all in the same end of the house with one fireplace. We got some gas fireplaces and, and then our kids, but the reality was our kids were like, we're doing that again this year. You know, when we finally got the heat turned down 18 months later or whatever, and the next winter was coming down and we're like, no, we got heat now guys. And they were like, oh, we thought we we're going to get to have, you know, slumber party in the master wing, you know? And, uh, so anyway, even just those experiences that adults would look at and be like, that's crazy. Our kids were literally had no idea that daddy had no money, that daddy couldn't figure out how to start a business, that clients were being difficult, that there was a lawsuit, that there was, you know, they just, they're playing outside in the dirt, you know, they're still playing outside in the dirt. Um, and ultimately we ended up, uh, we've built kind of enough um, equity and operating capital and stuff that we were like, all right, dream for our family is land and our kids playing in the woods and on the Creek. And my family moved to 10 acres when I was 13 and my son was 12. And I was kind of like, we got to like, it was almost too late for me at 13. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm about out of the fort building age. I'm about to start thinking about cars and a job and women and all that stuff. And so I'm like, I want my son to be able to experience land life. And so we started looking, but you know, everything had a house on it that wouldn't work or the location or the Creek. So we basically like, let's just find land and let's get a barn out there. We had actually already bought the bus for kind of a, a vision of traveling the U S and going to a bunch of national parks. It was underway. We're like, okay, well we could build this, buy this piece of land, pull a bus out there and life will be good. You know, and so that's ultimately what we did. We found a parcel of land. We wrote a check for it. We pulled the bus out there. We had a barn partially built, um, no roof on it yet. We actually lived in the bus for three weeks, maybe four weeks off grid. Um, and I was going to our rental properties and filling up 
250 gallon tank within the back of my pickup truck and then we were you know siphoning it out to the one next to the bus and using a water pump and car batteries with solar panels and all this kind of stuff and and in a sense i was kind of like man the way that the world's going let's figure this out you know let's it's just that we know that we're going to get the power trenched in we already had the work order from the power company um thankfully the septic got installed like the week before we pulled the bus out there because i was literally expecting i was going to have to take tanks of sewage back to our rental property in town so at least i didn't have to do that we had a place for those sewage to go water tank um you know and it was at march time of year for here it was a very nice type of weather and and we just you know but we, the kids were in the creek the kids are playing we got photos of you know the construction site's just a muddy mess and my boys are just covered head to toe in mud and as happy as they possibly could be they they don't care that you have a big house they don't care that you drive a nice car they they want to be in the dirt they want to be in the woods they want to be just they'll make a um they'll they'll make a place into a, a fort and they'll you know we have a the barn that we have has this loft so they got legos up there if it's pouring down rain they're up there in the loft it's a ladder to get up there and they you know and my wife is like i don't even want to go up there i don't even know what it looks like up there and i'm like yeah you don't want to go up there they got <laughs> paper everywhere they got blankets you know they built forts and they're just they got space and their imaginations are going crazy and they're loving life and so you know seeing that and and that reality and we went back and lived in the mansion for a couple weeks um, when it was really cold because we didn't have any um, it's a rental short-term rental now but then the kids were so excited um, so so excited to experience house life but then they were kind of like why are we going back to the land you know let's get back out there you know let's and and so it's just I just think that that is when you when you put it down on paper and you say what is the best case scenario for your kids what do you want for them how do we execute 80 percent on that now and let's get going and that's kind of what we did we we wanted you know we wanted to get hundreds of acres you know and have the massive you know and and a lot of people the reality is like that that land will be too much for you it'll be too much work it'll cost you too much it'll make you way outside of town so thankfully we end up finding 20 acres five minutes from church five minutes from my office and initially we're kind of like oh 20 only 20 acres you know and so we walked the land we're like this is pretty cool this is good enough. This will work. And we can get the kids out here now. And there's parcel next door to it. And so we ended up getting 34 more of that. Um, that's an interesting story, too. We ended up selling our duplex, had enough money to build the house cash. And um, and then we had an opportunity to buy this 34 acres next door. And my wife said, let's get the land. you know. And I, I said, you realize that if I buy this land... I don't know when I'm gonna be able to build you a house. You know, we got all this, we got a couple hundred thousand dollars, you know, um, here, I can build it cash, would be good. Um, and and we bought the, the more land, not because I want it, but because I wanna give my kids land. I want mm -hmm. them to have a house. I want them to have a place if they want it. I'm not gonna be clingy, you know, stage five clinger parents that are like, you have to live in my backyard and you can never launch and go do anything. What, like whatever God has for them, I want. But I also want them to have a vision of building a home and living there if they want to. And to, and to be building community such that they're not trying to get away. They want to stay. They want to be a part of it and, and to be understanding how to, to make money. 
and to grow and to say, hey, like, actually, if I stay here, I work with dad, I work with these other men in the community, like, I know what I'm going to do. I got the skills. I've been training since I was, you know, knee high to a grasshopper. Let's go and and being on fire to do that. And I just don't think a lot of men are thinking, how can I set my kids up to where they're not starting from zero? And there's this, I think it's ridiculous, um, you know, uh, cultural wisdom that your kids got to figure it all out themselves. I, I bootstrapped it. I whatever. It's like, no, what your kids like, how, okay, I got a $25 million business. I want my kids to take it to 250 million, you know, because they know the skills, you know, I, my business is not 25 million. I, maybe that sounded like, but it, I, hopefully I'm at 25, 50, a hundred when they're coming online and starting to run the family office and stuff. And, and we're just going to take it bigger and, and that I'm going to want them there because they are going to have unique things that they're good with, good at, and they're going to be able to act, offer value to the business. They're maybe going to have been in crawl spaces, worked on the line with guys and understand how to talk to people and then groomed and grown, but be part of, of what's going on and, and, or even have a, a supporting business that's uh, adjacent to it. That is, is part of it. You know, it's like, Hey, one of you guys want to buy an excavator. You guys want to start, you know, putting some fences in, you want to get this trenching machine. We can do these, these, you know, skills that I need in my company and you guys can have the rig and you guys can do it and let's figure it out. And, uh, and so anyway, it's, it's, it's very, very much new in its implementation. We got 54 acres. Um, we got a bus, we got a barn, we got power now, we got a well drilled. Um, we got, you know, 50 plus chickens. We're picking up pigs at the end of this month. Um, my wife's getting on to me about building the enclosure. We're going to try to put a bunch of fencing in in the next uh, year or so that so we can get some some cattle out there and start you know this regenerative mutually supporting uh, agriculture where we're moving uh, rotational grazing and we're we're using the kind of the symbiotic uh, nature that is just kind of works together and and manage it well and learn these skills and then they'll maybe be kind of economies or profit centers that certain kids will cover down on and want to manage. And so that's kind of, um, I'm excited to do construction, you know, in the nine to five and even getting to the office really early so that I can do content stuff and media, but then even realizing like, okay, it's okay for me to leave at two or three o'clock in the afternoon and go home and work on the barn and have the kids there or move the chickens or, you know, let's, let's do these kind of maybe not money, uh, producing yet, but infrastructure and enhancing the value of the land and teaching my son's skills and even just learning to, to let them use the tools and not jump in there and try to take the drill. Cause it's taking a little bit longer and, and having them make oh, the yes. cuts and having them go get the things out of and just, um, setting my expectation to be, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to make this enjoyable for them. And I'm going to let them put their hands on the tools and them do the work. And if we get a bunch done, great. But the, the being here together, them, them getting some reps in, however many it ends up being is valuable and is giving them agency. And, and I, and what's crazy is I'm coming home now and maybe I'm missing a tool, but there's been a, a, some repairs to the rabbit coop or, Hey, I, I drilled this, I tightened this, or I put this in, in my sons are starting to just take scrap wood and, 
and fix things that have gone wrong, you know, and even on the bus, like changing out propane cylinders and, and getting the, you know, trickle charger on, on the pump and, you know, just, uh, wiring the circuit for the well and, and all these things that they're starting to see kind of how systems work together. They're able to put their hands on it, fix it themselves. And, and just, you know, we're not always, I don't think we're always going to be able to just call and have every aspect of our life fixed um, in, in, in minutes and just having some of these Renaissance skills, having some of these, this ability to understand how things work. Um, ultimately, is it going to make a money? Is the farm going to be this profit center? I don't think so. We're making great money in construction. This is, this is the laboratory where I teach my kids, um, resilience, where they grow, where we, we enjoy time together. We can shoot guns out there. You mentioned that. Um, I just recently went and bought each of my sons a, a Glock 19 pistol because I'm like, you guys are old enough. Um, they're all, we're all going to have the same multiple versions or multiple of the same gun. So you guys can, when you guys put your hands on it, all of them are going to be the same. You guys are going to have gotten reps in and just realizing like, we're going to, we're going to start dry firing. We're going to, we're working. I'm, I'm trying to add that into our, we're doing lunchtime workouts. My wife goes to the gym. I go home, we work out together and say, all right, let's do, you know, 50 dry fire reps as well. Let's get some of this, um, these competencies and these other disciplines that, that will round us out, um, as, as people. And, and it's, it's a blast, man. Like I, I, I literally cannot imagine, um, a more fun life and existence right now. Like I can imagine having a nice house and not being in a bus and my wife can imagine it better than I can. Uh, we, we may have had to have a coming to Jesus talk this morning about like, Hey, where are we at on this? You know, like let's, but we're drawing it ourselves. Like we're having date night. Um, you know, I got the laptop open. I'm drawing the, the CAD um, files for that. We're trying to get all the roof line design right because we're, we're designing it specifically to be able to entertain our friends and to have hospitality and, and it to be small enough that it's it's not as hard to maintain but still can do what we want to do. And that's the reality. And we're, we're going to be hopefully in, in, in about three months or so, uh, my sons and I are going to be building it. And I'm hoping to kind of do the, 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 the daily rhythms such that that's my big job that the construction company is doing in a sense. And I'm, I'm spending the majority of the week at home. You know, we're going to subcontract out some of it, but I want my boys to have been intimately involved and my daughters as well to be intimately involved in every phase of the build and to, and to have it last for a really long time and have something that when there's family reunions, or whatever, they can be like, yep, I remember we built this, you know, um, in the same way, that's how I learned it. Originally, there's my family house, uh, I was 13, we added on to it. So I'm, I'm wanting to, to replicate some of those things from my own childhood that enabled me to start a business that enabled me to have this agency and skill to go and build a barn from scratch and remodel a bus and pull it into it and, and, and design and build our own house. And it's, and my kids are going to get to be part of that. And, and I'm just, it's, it's so much fun. And so those of you that are listening to that and thinking, oh man, I wish it's like, you can, you just got to break it down into steps and you got to do it and, and you got to accept some discomfort along the way. But ultimately even just, you know, I was talking to somebody the other night, like the fact that we're in the bus for a year, we're in the bus for two years is not going to matter when we finally get the farm built out. Like it's going to be a blip 
And, you know, if we would have just said, oh, only 20 acres and built the house cash and it would have been comfortable. And, it, and honestly, as a guy, I was like, man, I kind of would rather just have this money and build the house and not expand the border. Because, you know, now I got all this land and I can't build a house yet. You know, I, I'm almost ready to start and then we're going to start chipping away at it. But it's like, man, I got to get to work. I, I, all that money that could have just been put into something, I could have just taken the year off and I could have built this house. No, to actually build this multi-generational vision, I'm going to have to work a lot harder and I'm going to have to stay on the gas. I'm going to have to sell these construction jobs. I'm going to have to do uh, work with clients. I'm going to have to do these things that aren't sexy, but I, you know, I'm going to have to stay on the gas. If it's going to happen, it's me, you know? And so anybody can do it. It's just, it's going to take 10 years. And if you could think about it, it, it just really is. So I, I would rather, I, I for sure can get there in 10 years, it's going to be harder than I expect, but then I'm, I'm going to get there or I can just suck it up and think about how I wish I could have, you know, for, for the rest of my life, you know? And so, you know, they say the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. And so break it out. How much money are you wasting on dumb stuff that really doesn't add value to your life? That actually makes your life more, more, uh, difficult. Cause now you got to maintain all this stuff. You got to, you got to, take care of it. You got to store it. I mean, the mini storage, I don't know if, if Canada is the same as America, but the mini storage business is huge in America. Yeah. People have to have one or two, three mini storage units to just store their junk, you know, and get rid of it all. It doesn't matter, you know, and, and when we, we sold the duplex, I had to bring in a dumpster and just throw, I had a, a three car garage building in the back. It just allowed me to accumulate junk you know, and ultimately I was like, man, I've, I've, some of the stuff I've moved to three different houses now, you know, and <laughs> yeah. I didn't use it. And, and I was like, we're going out to this land. It's, I don't have a place to put all this junk. I'm throwing it all away. We're getting rid of everything, but maybe one or two things. We're giving this bike away to a friend. We're getting all this. Let's, let's shed all the crap. Let's streamline our life. I mean, it's, what's crazy is each of my kids has a Rubbermaid for all their clothes that they need day to day. You know, and, and I do too. I have a little basket. I have a couple pair of shoes. Um, we still do have storage at our other house. So our church clothes and our out of season stuff, we have the ability to kind of stick it there. It's not, you know, I, I like having nice clothes. I think it's very important to dress well as a man as, as, as uh, you know, it's, it's not effeminate at all to have, have nice suits, to dress well for church, to do these things, to be in business. But what you need from a day to day perspective you don't need as much. You don't need all that stuff. And and it's just having lived out of a bus now, it's like, man, I don't miss those 27 other pairs of t-shirts. You know, I got a couple t-shirts, you know, like it's all I need. I got these shoes and it's freeing me up to do a lot of cool stuff. It's, it's, it's creativity. It's bandwidth in my mind that I can, I can think about business. I can implement these plans and I can do things that are going to last instead of just moving junk around, you know? Yeah. Dude, I'm like on the other screen right here. I'm already looking up land because <laughs> let's go, man. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to listen to this part of this conversation every morning in like my sleep to just put that into reality. Because the one thing that I wanted like everyone to get from that, everyone's probably reeling right now. Like, Oh my goodness, what did I just hear? It was chaos. 
It was not yeah. at all perfect. And there was like all these new things you kept adding and adding and adding. And that stresses me out so much. And yet I need that in my life so bad, man. Like I love being able to hear that you just kept taking on more because my mind, and I'm constantly struggling against this. It's like, oh, I got to know everything right away. I need to know like five years from now. I need to know 10 years from now. And because I can see the vision, I'm like, well, I might as well just have it now. Like, what do you mean? I got to put the work in over time and be uncomfortable. And look, I'm really good at being uncomfortable with a lot of things, but a vision like that, that's next level. That's so inspiring, man. Like that is exactly, I was, I was going to say, um, this is like exactly what I want to see in my family. I got to find a way to just like talk to you more often because <laughs> dude, I want to know exactly all the things along the way, because that was incredible. And the chaos that comes into that and the like the balls, the resilience to be able to handle all of that coming through, that's just going to have to be what it is. And one of the things you talk about as well is being in the arena, right? Like doing, I think one of your posts, it might be verbatim, I'm not sure, says doing what is required despite what your emotions are saying and that they'll get in line when you execute. That's like the core thing that you have to have for all of what you just said to take place. Um, do you like, I don't know what your time is. I know we're just a couple minutes over. If you got a couple more minutes, do you want to just close on that resilience piece? Um, and then we'll find out where people can find you because man, I'm, I'm so fired up. I'm going to go start a farm right now. Like let's, let's go, let's finish this off on resilience. Yeah. Um, well, I think that people will, uh, make a, a false assumption that their thoughts are true. And I think John Acuff has a book called Soundtracks, and he, that's how he kind of he articulates the metaphor that he uses for thoughts in this book. But realizing that you have these thoughts playing, but you're in control of them. And sometimes we are passive about the thoughts that come into our head or we just kind of let them wreak havoc. Those those worst case scenarios, those um, you know, my, the, the thoughts about your childhood or thoughts about what your kids really think. Like, this is not actually what your kids think of you or what your wife thinks of you. This is what you think your kids think of you or what you think your wife thinks of you. And those are false, you know, and, I, and ultimately as a Christian, that the father, the devil is the father of lies. So whether or not that is your mindset of your flesh and the weakness of you as a man and these thoughts coming in, or it's the accuser. It's somebody, you know, we read about when Jesus was fasting in 40 days that the devil showed up, the son of God, and he's tempting him and saying, giving him power, giving him food, giving these things like the, the actual take conscious control over what you think and realize those thoughts have ramification and that you are in control of them. I think Gary Vee says like, you tell you what to think. Like, so start telling you what to think. And then the other side of it um, is emotions are, are, um, are real. There's a chemical composition going on inside of you. There's a physiological thing. I, I have daughters, so there's actual, like, I understand that you feel this. That is real. That is not true about life. Like, it is not really the worst day ever. Uh, it, it, it's a good day. It could get worse. You know, dad's been to North Africa. It, it get, can get a lot worse, you know, you don't understand that. So when you say, and we use these absolute terms, it never, or it always, or it whatever. It's like, just let's be precise about our language. And I can't remember the Psalm, but this one of our family models is, is uh, you know, speak truth in your heart. And so that is what I'm always saying to my kids. Is that the truth? Speak the truth in your heart, you, you, your, your, your soul, your mind, your mindset. So, and, and you can take control of that. And so when you when when the business is going terrible, when the and, you know, and that's ultimately kind of how I ended up hacking through the business stuff. And I still do. I would say, oh, well, I'm not getting shot at. 
well, my wife loves me. Well, I got kids. Like, oh, if they take everything, well, I'm, you know, we'll live here. Like, I figured it out before. We'll do it again. Like, and just have this overwhelmingly, it's not fake, um, you know, looking at yourself in the in the mirror and saying, I'm, I'm the most amazing. It's like, no, I have what I need. I know what I need to do now, and I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to do it again, and I'm going to do it again, and I'm not going to stop until I die. And I think that there's this belief that it's going to get easy eventually, and 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 I'm gonna, it's just going to fall on my lap, or it's going to, you know, like rubbish. It's never going to get easy. It's going to be if you're literally living to your fullest potential. If you're as strong as you're going to be, if you're as as good at business as you're going to be, it's it's a lifelong commitment, and you can't stop. And, and, and if you want to stop at some point, say, oh, I got what I did. I ultimately, I don't think that you're, you're going to always have that. Oh, I wonder if I could have, you know, and a lot of these high success, high earning people that sell their primary business and exit and have all this money go crazy. You know, like we just see, it's like, you actually are going to be happier when the work is hard. You're going to be happier when you don't know what, but that, because the other side of it is when it works out. When you are profitable, when your business is actually making money, when you have ability to write a check for land, when you can sell a rental property and buy more acreage and when you can go get it in the middle of the day, go buy some pistols and go shoot with your sons. You're like, that's I, I can do that because of what I did. I've done. I did all these things. I made these choices. And now seven years after getting out of the military, I have these businesses. I'm making this money now. Is it just infinite margin where I can just sit around and do nothing? No. Is that margin, can that margin be reinvested into some, to creating something bigger? Yes, and it should. And I'm going to keep going. And so um, I guess that's kind of around, around the loop. I also want to add one thing about land. If it's listed for sale, it's too late in some ways. Like a lot of people that, like, oh, I can't find land. I can't find a house. can't find whatever. It's like find the one you want and go offer somebody to buy it from them. You know, like walk up and knock on the door. I mean, in, in the U.S., you can look up the tax records. You can find who owns any property. So that's what we did with our land. It wasn't actually on the market. Um, and I, I friends of mine were like, yeah, we went and walked it. But we, you know, try to talk to them about there was actually a for sale sign that the business partner of the guy had put out there. It wasn't actually really on the market. And when we submit offers, it never even got to the actual owner. So we didn't hear anything. So I'm like, well, I'm going to figure out the tax records. And I went to the guy's office and I'm like, hey, I want to buy this land. And he's like, not for sale. And I'm like, ridiculous, bro. Everything's for sale. <laughs> Let's talk. You know, and I brought all my kids sometimes. And then we showed up with our kids. I got a picture of it where we have a loaf of sourdough, you know, and uh, and he he actually blocked my number. And so I called his secretary and I'm like, hey, and, and he's just I'm like, I'm not spamming. I'm not a weirdo. Like, I got five kids. We got a loaf of sourdough here. You know, we we want to buy this land, and it turns out she's a part owner of it. So he owns it with his wife, and they're in his one of his business partners, and so there's three of them. So little did I know, I'm driving. She's like, "Oh, my house is down here. You can bring the bread down here." So I'm I'm talking to a part owner of this land with five kids and my wife, and she's like, "This is what we want to do. We want to build a farm here." And and when we found out that the guy was a farmer. The guy had grown up with dairy cows. He's a Canadian guy, actually, that immigrated here. He's got dairy cows. So we're like, we want to farm this land. We're not trying to subdivide it. We want to grow our, we want our kids to grow up here. We want all of it, you know. And he's like, I'll sell you a little bit of it, you know. So I was like, all right, that's good enough. And then he sold us a little bit more. And we're about to put the remaining parcel under contract. And, and it's just, it's little, little steps. 
and it's and it's realizing that the best deal or the thing that you want you may have to be unconventional about it you may have to go out and take it and and if it's on the market everybody can see it you know we literally took the map out we here's where church is okay let's look for all the streams let's look for all the ponds which parcels are developed and, and we found the ones that we wanted and we started going and asking and we started meeting with people and hey do you know this and and so you know that's what people will be like oh man how'd you get that i was like uh the final actual thing happened the guy is sitting in the barber's chair he walks in he'd been ducking me i showed up he was i was like asking his mechanic like when's the guy show up you know and, and he's like, if you're here at 8 o'clock, 8.30, he's going to give all the instructions. So I showed up. He's like, all right, we'll talk tomorrow. We'll talk. And he's like kind of, you know, and he's busy. He's a businessman. He's doing things. I get it. Well, then uh, I fill out the contract completely, leave the price blank, and I'm about to drive it out there. And I'm in the barber shop, and I'm like, he comes in. And he sits down in the chair after I get out. And so I text my wife. I'm like, you're not going to believe who just sat down in the barber chair. I have my barber's cell phone number, so I'm like, don't let him go anywhere. And so I went back and got my wife and my my cutest youngest son. And I'm like, he's in the barber. <laughs> Savage. Chair. He's gonna have to sit here for 30 minutes while I pitch this dude on this thing. And and then I, I just walked in, I said, Hey, you know, uh, Rod, I just want to introduce you to my business partner. She's got some things she's gonna say to you. You know, and I just stepped back and and my wife was like, We want to farm, we want to raise our kids. You know, she's got the, my seven year old, he's six years old at the time on her hip, you know. We want the kids to grow up on the land. We want to do this. This is our vision for it. And he's just like, you know, obviously, like the whole barbershop's full, you know, and we're just like, all right, pitch deck. Here we go. And I'm like, I got the, I got the contract right here. All you got to do is write the price. Let's do it. You know, he's like, all right, it's going to be raining tomorrow. You come by my, uh, come by the office tomorrow, you know? So I took two or three sons out there and he's like, I'll sell you 20, you know? And, and like I said, we were like, ah, you know, we wanted all 83. Why the heck? That's not going to be a lot, you know? And, and, uh, Okay, let's go walk it. Let's check it. Like, this will be okay. This is good enough, and and it's it's not you know it's, we don't have millions in the bank, so we get to, don't get to be perfect. But then at, literally, I have thirty four more now. A year later, you know, and he's actually at the point where he's like, I want you to have the rest, you know, and I'm going to work with you. And that's the you know Proverbs says the king's heart or heart is like channels of water. The Lord turns them wherever He wishes. So. It's he, he it's he understands people. And when you have uh, your intention set on something and your heart posture is right and you're trying to build something that is literally supposed to be for you, he parts the Red Sea. He makes it happen for you. But you have to be working. You have to be trusting. You have to be always uh, searching. Is, is this for me? Is this for the right thing? And if it is the will of God that you have land, that you grow and you have this business and you have these things then it will happen. And if not, it's for your good. It's going to turn you into the right person. So being kind of out there where it's kind of on God to take it one way or the other and that you don't have control over the results, but then the results kind of continue to happen. And, and that's why I feel like so many people don't even understand God um, that are employed, that are playing it safe. It's like you don't, you don't literally, I literally have a video of myself before we bought this 34. I was like, I'm about to go ask him for it have no idea how we're going to pay for it. I just feel like I'm supposed to ask him. I see some survey stakes going out there and, and I literally just don't know. I'm going to pray about it. Um, and, and we're going to see what happens. And then he literally was like, you know, you have some assets, you got to choose which ones you hold on. And we're like, Oh, we never even thought about selling the duplex. So sold the next weekend, you know, everything went through, 
we were able to close and get, the, and it's just like, we couldn't have done, imagined that it would happen the way that it did, but we just did the next thing. We had the next conversation and we prayed the whole time, you know, and, and, and it's just cool. Your kid, your kids have been praying with about the land. And what's crazy is my kids are praying now for the 2000 acres behind our, you know, 54. And I'm like, Whoa, you know, that kids, <laughs> that might be a little bit, but they're like, no, no, we're going to get it. Like we're praying for, we, we got the 20, we got the 34. Now the 2000, like it's going to happen, dad. You know, it's like, okay, you know, let's do this. <laughs> Dude, so, okay. Anyway, man, Nathan, you just stole everybody's excuses. Like there's <laughs> not a man listening now. who's like, yeah, well, well, he doesn't understand me. It's like, dude, you just harassed a guy in a barber chair with your kids. That's yeah, yeah. so good. Like, I man, I was so convicted by that. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm full of excuses. I'm full of excuses because I don't want to be that uncomfortable. And yet here you are showing the way. And particularly, I mean, just personally, as a new Christian, I'm not sure how God works it. And so to hear this, to mm-hmm. pray on it and just do the next step. Like, dude, that is so good because like I said, I'm always looking for that end goal and I'm always looking for it to happen right now. And if I can't see every step of the way, I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's not up to me. And that mindset shift is so important for me spiritually is how am I going to get there? Like, dude, don't worry about it. Trust, just trust in God, surrender. And if it's the right thing, it's going to be the right thing. Man, this has been a massively edifying conversation. Thank you so much, dude. Um, I feel like I probably got through like three questions out of like the 10 or 15 I had. So <laughs> about to do round two some other time. Um, but man, thank you so much. Where should we send people? I don't know if you want to send them to business or social media or like all of it. I'll put all the stuff in the show notes, dad.work slash podcast. But if they're listening, where should they find more about you? Everything's on the website, spearing, S-P-E-A-R-I-N-G dot C-O. And then so social handles are along the top. I'll keep those updated with the ones that I'm active on. There's an email list that you can subscribe. I'm actually right before this podcast was seeing how you got an email list and you got like kind of this 10 day thing. And 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 so I, I have had a sign up. I've sent like maybe two emails out in the last three years. Um, so I'm, I'm looking to do more on that because you know how all these these platforms are just ridiculous sometimes so having a little bit oh, yeah. more autonomy there and then the the life on target podcast um is on any any of the podcast platforms but all the links to that all the social profiles all that are at spearing.co nice okay and guys i like one of the very few podcasts that i listen to occasionally because i don't listen to a lot is nathan's podcast the life on target so highly recommended awesome conversations on there and uh i don't like if you just want to be fired up how could you not want more of this i'm so gung-ho right now dude anyway thank you so much uh i'm gonna let you go and uh, we will connect soon but thank you for the wisdom on this awesome great to be here Thank you for listening to the Dad Work Podcast. That's it for this episode. But if you would like to stay in touch between weekly episodes, why don't you go over to Instagram and follow me there? Because I drop a number of things throughout the week that are related to what we talk about on this podcast, but usually go a little bit deeper, provide some tips. You can find me on Instagram at dadwork.curt. That's D-A-D-W-O-R-K dot C-U-R-T. And please, if you have been getting something out of this podcast, if it has touched you, if it has improved your marriage, your parenting, or your life, would you please leave a quick review on Apple or Spotify? Leave a rating. If you have a few extra seconds, leave a quick review. That's the best way that we can get this work in the hands of more fathers. And I truly believe that we change the world one father at a time because each father that parents better, that loves better, raises children who do the same. And in just a couple of generations, I feel like we could be living in a world much better than the one we live in today. Your review will help along that path. And I thank you so much for being here to listen. Until next week, we'll see you then.